Welcome back, lady listeners, to Read Me Romance Podcast. Hey, lady listeners, welcome back. We have Sarah Ready with Love Letters. You're just going to have to wait a little bit before you get the second half. I'm sorry. Actually, I'm not sorry at all. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, though, thanks for joining us this week for the second installment of Love Letters. I have lady listener emails. So you have letters. I have love letters to us from lady listeners. (laughs) Let's do it. I love, I don't even know what this email is about, but the the subject got me. Thanksgiving is trash, but I do still love a turkey. Collard greens are the best, grossest things I ever did on behalf of my PTA service. I'm in. (laughs) Hi, lady DJs. Happy New Year to you. Hope 2022 gets bored and goes home. I've been catching up on the episodes I missed, and damn, eternal, eternal thanks to the BB, oh, for BB Reed awareness. Oh, yes, she's the best. The Wrong Blue Eyes was so fucking good. Thanks, y'all. Personally, we don't celebrate Thanksgiving anymore. Genocide is not delicious. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) That's so fucking true. But this year, we sort of did because my 85-year-old in-laws invited themselves to my house for the whole week. Yes, it was not that awesome. <laughs> we love them dearly, but Lord, <laughs> she put a T on the end of Lord. Like it was that. a long ass week. My college age kid is still salty. We didn't get the week of nothing we'd originally planned. Leah, I don't have words to describe your ability to have had a to have had gas station snacks alone that day. Hashtag God level. Hashtag goals. <laughs> <laughs> On this subject of collards, my husband makes ours and swears by the blanching method to remove the bitterness and cook them on a weeknight. I'm married to a collard-making genius. So lucky. I do still love a classic roast turkey. Fight me. LOL. We did ours at Christmas this year. On the subject of shit, we find disgusting. Spare change is gross. worst most gross thing i ever did was on behalf of my school's pta worst two years of my life got lots of stories was the annual coin challenge fundraiser sorting and rolling the contents of coin jars from people's homes meant i touched human hair nail clippings dust sticky mystery items and more nine years later i still gag at the smell of loose change You know what? There's a I've seen a few forensic shows where they busted people because of the coin jar yep. and DNA being in it. Ugh. Says fucking my day up in Salisbury, North Carolina. Grateful for your all, Teresa. Teresa, fucking Salisbury. You're like twenty minutes down the road from me. How are we not best friends? This email alone. <laughs> um, and you have lots of stories about being on the PTA. Fucking send them in, bitch. What are you doing? <laughs> I want to hear this. That was amazing. Loved it. 10 out of 10. All right. This one's entitled Shameless. Hi. So this year I get to go to Shameless. And of course, it's the last year they're doing it. Will you and Mel be going this year? I so hope so, so that I can meet you beautiful ladies. Can't wait for the next book in the podcast. Love all that you guys do for us. Love, Alyssa. This is from, Is are they still doing Shameless? I don't know. I, I, I think I did hear something about this being its last year. So then usually it's in October. Yeah. So. Yeah. Generally. Yeah. Well, that was when we would go. We don't have plans to go. No. Um, just with everything that's happened the past couple of years, like we've just really cut down on signings and stuff and don't really have a ton, don't really have plans to do much of them anymore. I mean, I, I haven't know. heard a ton of them. Go- yeah. I didn't even see them around posted, but maybe well, I'm just not looking. No, I think it's because of the pandemic. I yeah. think most of them got canceled or moved or whatever it is. So we just really haven't got back in the swing of things yet. And then I think I'm like timid. Like when I see yeah. one that they're like, well, we're just planning for 2023 or whatever. I'm like, I don't know. I, I didn't see this coming. I can't, <laughs> I can't think that far. Yeah. 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 You know, and it, it's another thing too, where it's like, I don't know. I did the book signing here and I was really, really nervous about it, but it ended up being fantastic because it was so small. And I think because the only frame of reference I had 
were these huge signings we did where it was super overwhelming. There was tons of people, huge schedule, hauling books, like doing all this. It's so much. And not only that is like you really don't get to spend a ton of time with readers other than at the table on the day of the signing. You know, that's you don't really get to make that connection otherwise. And, you know, that's the reason we go is for that, you know, for sure. I mean, it's nice to see our author friends and stuff, too, but there's never time to hang out because even though like we make plans for us, like, oh, my gosh, we need to meet up with them and go to dinner. It never happens. Like, yeah. we get down there, and we're like, we can't. We have to make pre-order bags until 2 a.m. And we have to labels. be up to, We have to be up at 5 a.m. to get ready for the signing because we have to be there at 7, and the doors open at 9. And God, I forgot about that, how early we have to wake up. Yep. Like, it's it's a long thing. It's a so, lot. I mean, I know that's, that's probably really, like, shitty bitching about that, but... But my anxiety is already going, thinking about it. <laughs> I know. I know. It's, I, that's just... I just want to explain... That it takes a lot out of us to do it. And just with like, not only COVID, just, you know, what we've been through in the past couple of years, like since 2019, with us as authors and, you know, our books and everything else, like it's just been really difficult to go back to something like that. I don't know if we'll ever be prepared to step back into a signing of that, of the, of that caliber is shameless. I don't know. Yeah. But it's really hard to commit to something like that. But, you know. If we never do them, I won't be heartbroken if we never do another one. I know our of a readers big caliber, be, yeah, yeah. I, I know our readers. Them, be, you know, if we went somewhere and we're like, "Hey, we're going to be here if anybody wants to swing by." Yeah, yeah. How about it? I'd be absolutely okay thing. with that. Yeah, I want to go. I wanted to go visit one of my friends in California, but it got canceled last year because of COVID. But I even thought, like, you know, maybe we should just do something like that like, the next time we go on vacation somewhere. Just set it mm-hmm. up with, like, a bookstore ahead of time. Like, hey, can I pop in here and just touch it at a table for a little bit? Yeah. You know, and yeah. invite readers that way. Just because I would rather have that moment and that connection than go to a big signing, even though. Me too. I just rather hang out. Yeah. I know as a reader, though, I like going to the conventions. I, I, I would probably go to one as a reader. I'd go to Shameless as a reader. Yeah. Like, I'd probably do that in a minute if I had tickets. I'd be like, hell yeah, let's do it. Let's, like, Mel, do you want to go shameless as a reader, you know? Yeah. But I don't, I don't think I'm prepared to go as an author. Not, not for a while still. I think, I don't know. I think it's a combination of, like, anxiety, you know. Um, I just have to, like, look at who's going yeah, and yeah. prepare myself. Mm-hmm. Emotionally, get, it's really hard. It's really I get hard. tons of anxiety. I have six DNX and shit. <laughs> I don't really get anxiety about, like, being at the sign or being around people. That doesn't bother me as much. I think it's just everything we've been through. It's really traumatic, honestly. Like, just to be, like, completely truthful about it, it was just such a traumatic experience. And it's hard to be around other people that sort of watched you crash and burn. Like, that's And who that's difficult. made comments themselves. So yeah, like, yeah. Hurtful. People who have, like, you know, publicly talked shit on you. It's hard to go sit at a table next to that. That's yeah. it's really difficult. So, you know, it, it's one of those things like, do you really want to put your mental health through that just yeah. to just to do a signing when there's other options? So, for sure. yeah, I don't know. We'll see in the future. But for right now, no, no plans. <clears throat> All right. Next email. Hey, y'all. I'm listening to episode 125.1. Leah, you had you have your ADD results and you're talking about how they tested your IQ. I just wanted to let you know that I did test with a genius level IQ, but don't worry. It hasn't done shit for me. So don't feel bad that you didn't find out you're a genius. (laughs) I love love that. Also, you're talking about what you do for birthdays and anniversaries and how boring it is to celebrate in your 40s. So I thought I would share a funny story from my childhood. The year was 2004. You were a child in 2004. Fuck off, Sam. I graduated in 2004. God, she's a baby. Okay, let's see how old she is. All right, the year was 2004, month August. My brother was turning 16 in October. Okay, all right, so now it's a baby. My brother was turning 16 in October, and my dad was going to give him his car and buy a new used one. This was my dad's chance to finally get a truck again. My brother was a newborn the last time he had a truck, and it's been nothing but family cars since. My mom drives an XL Suburban, and my brother will be driving, so my dad has no need for a full-size back seat anymore. We are not 
four-door truck people. So on my mother's birthday, my dad takes her out, but it's the afternoon. So this is weird to us kids, but whatever. Adults are weird. <laughs> they come back a few hours later. My mom driving my dad's car and my dad pulls up with a 2002 F-150. My dad bought himself a truck on my mom's 43rd birthday. Oh, my God. We still laugh our asses off about this and make fun of him for it. He owns that shit, though. He knows what he did, and he isn't sorry. <laughs> I knew she was going to say that. He's like, yep. no, it's time for a fucking truck. He don't give a fuck. Now I'm off to fuck my day up. Y'all are, y'all are beautiful. Keep up the good work. Side note, I hope Tessa is well. But I must say that I like we are hearing more from Mel with it just being the two of you. Still love to test it too. Just a note, Sam. Oh, that's so sweet. I'm sorry. I had a little trouble reading it because my printer was running out of ink. And so it was like as the email was going, it was fading. <laughs> it's like fading down. All right. This one says wedding proposal. So I'm going to preface this by saying I knew this proposal was coming. Okay. My boyfriend at the time and I had been together off and on since high school, and the last time we were on, I told him he had a year to put a ring on it. This was January. My future mother-in-law started hinting that he had purchased the ring, and I should expect for it to be my B-Day in October. So as my birthday approached, I became more and more anxious. The day of my birthday, he took me to dinner, and the plan was to go to a movie afterwards. During dinner, my mother-in-law called me and said I was going to get my ring. What? Why would she say that? Immediately, my mood for my B-Day and any activities tanks. Worked myself. Oh, she said she wasn't going to get her ring. I'm sorry. I read that wrong. My mother-in-law said I wasn't going to get my ring. Immediately, my mood for our birthday and any activities tanked. Worked myself into a fit and a headache. We drive to the movies and he gave me the Little Mermaid for my birthday present. At this point, I was done with life. <laughs> and asked him to take me home. On the way back to my place, he calls my roommate and says, Hey, she's not feeling well. Do you want to work on some music when I get back? I left the music in your top drawer. I'll lose it at this point. I start the fight. I start the fights that should have ended all fights. I told him for my next birthday, he should just drive me off a cliff because this was the first birthday ever. Uh, the drama. I love the drama. I love this. We get to my place and I jump out of the car before he even puts it in park. He jumps out to stop me and I cock back to hit him still screaming like a banshee. I did not hit him. (laughs) I storm into the house to find both my roommates and their mother and their mother coming out of the kitchen with big smiles on their faces. My boyfriend steers me into the kitchen where there's a cake. It's a wedding topper with a rose in the center and my engagement ring. The reason I wasn't getting my ring, the jeweler sized it too small. LOL. This September, we celebrate 12 years and it's the 17th anniversary since we started dating. By the way, doesn't need to be, by the way, doesn't need to be anonymous. Anyone who knows us has heard our crazy story. Attached is a picture of the crazy man willing to take a punch to propose to me. Hugs and kisses, Christina. I love this. I wish she would have hit him. Oh my God, I love this. This was willing to take a punch. I'm going to see if this one's older. Yeah, this is from 2019. So they've been together like 15 years now. And they've been together 20 since they started dating. I remember my mom's birthday one year. And God, I was probably 17, 16 at the time, and her mood was progressively getting worse. My dad hadn't gotten home from work. She hadn't gotten any flowers. You know, my mom's obsessed with flowers. Oh, yeah. That's like now, all she I, wants. I could see her mood, like, oh, shit. getting pissed. Like your dad done fucked up. And he had to work, and she's just, like, shit moved by the time he gets home. And then he's like, bam, in her face with, remember how she got that huge ring? <gasps> Yes. No. no. Oh, okay. Yeah. He gets forgiven with that. Yeah. Because she's got a fucking he, Like, he'd been running late. He had to pick it up. And he still had to do bids for work. And he was just uh, making his way back He home. was being all slick. And I remember hearing him. And she was like, ah. She was so mad. I think it was because, like, I think it's part of it was because when I was, like, 16 or 17, mm-hmm. my parents kind of, like, shifted job transition. And we had not 
we didn't have money growing up. And my yeah. dad and mo- my mom both started doing very well. So mm-hmm. I think that was the year she was, like, expecting something. Like, yeah, like something nice. This is the year yeah. we're not skipping birthdays. You're yeah, doing yeah. well. I got a ball. What's coming? Mm-hmm. What's coming? Yeah. I'll never forget <laughs> that. But it made She's me like, think of both of these because she's storming around, <laughs> about to get ring. Smacking him in the face. <laughs> God. This is the best. Okay. This one says proposals. Hi, ladies. I don't know how over the top my proposal story is, but I love it. My now husband and I went to Oahu. I think it's Oahu. O-A-H-U. I think that's how you say it. Went to Oahu with my family for vacation to celebrate me graduating university and my sister graduating high school. On the day he proposed, we had taken a circle. We had taken a circle island tour that took us all around the all of Oahu. I may say that wrong. I'm sorry. Um, about halfway through the day, we were at the Palai Lookout, which is gorgeous, and he started hugging me and telling me how much he loves me. I was so confused about what he was doing until he got down on one knee and asked me to be his penguin. He explained that he asked that way because penguins mate for life, oh and God. when they do, they make pre- they make presents for the females with a stone. I yelled, yes, before he actually finished asking. <laughs> it was so special. To have my family there with me to watch it all happen. They knew that he was going to ask, but they didn't know when. Kim. That's so sweet. I love that. Yeah, penguins love made penguins. for life. And they take care of, like, the egg. I and know. Penguin men are Like a men. real daddy. Like a yeah. real daddy. <laughs> okay. It says proposal story. I, I just put in proposals and printers. These are my favorite. If you have a proposal story, send it in, please. Proposal, wedding, good, bad, ugly. I'll take them all. Or if you've hit your husband and he still loves you. So no, no. Um, <laughs> this is proposal story. Hey, ladies, my marriage proposal story begins as many do with a dentist appointment. <laughs> <laughs> when he proposed, my now husband and I had been dating for nine years and living together for five. So I was just waiting for the ring at this point and didn't think he would be able to surprise me with a proposal. I had made a dentist appointment to get a crown done on a random Tuesday had gotten off work an hour early and was just going to swing by home and change my clothes and brush my teeth before going straight to the dentist. As I stepped through the door, our entire apartment was filled with candles and framed photos of the two of us all over the past nine years, with my husband standing there holding a scrapbook that I had made as a present for our first dating anniversary. He got down on one knee and opened the scrapbook with a ring inside, asking if I was ready for our next adventure. Of course I said yes, after which he told me that he had already called ahead and canceled my dentist appointment when <laughs> we were married this past October. Disa and David. Oh, that's so sweet. I love oh, that God. one. I love just a good, sweet, wholesome story. So me too. too. Just a good one. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. This is the last one. Then we'll get to Sarah Reddy stuff. Um, marriage proposal. Mine was amazing. My hubby went all out. We had a huge party where every single person knew we were getting engaged aside from me. I had no clue. And even when he was proposing, I didn't know until he pulled out the ring. Let's see. So we had a big party with his family, my family, and lots of friends. And out of the blue, my mom pulls out a few chairs as well as a TV and tells everyone they were going to watch a movie so that his family could get to know me better. I was so mad and embarrassed that I told her no. But my husband pulls me up to the front, sits me down, and tells me to t- and tells her to turn it on. I'm blushing so hard, and I'm pissed. So we watch this short movie, and it cuts all out all of a sudden. So I'm relieved, but my husband jumps up and says, Well, I know some things that Randy likes. And he goes, I know she loves purple roses. So he gives me a massive bouquet of purple roses. And all I can think is, hell yes, I love roses, and yay presents. <laughs> then he says... I know she wants to get married here, and he pulls out a cake topper of where we got married. I'm still thinking about, yay, presents. Sweet. And then he says, and I know she really wanted this ring. My jaw drops open. I started bawling. I started bawling. He gets down on his knee and says, will you marry me? I'm all sorts of eloquent and say, yeah, not even yes. (laughs) (laughs) It It was sweet and super fun that everyone got to be involved, and we had an awesome party afterwards. It was great, and I still watch and love that video. Been married 15 years in June. Still good. Love your podcast and introduced my friend to it. Got her hooked. 
the end. <laughs> that was so sweet. I just love that. I, I love love. You know? I know. <laughs> I don't, I've just come to accept that about myself. You know, I used to think like it was silly and stupid and that I should be, you know, kind of embarrassed about it. But like, I don't want to read a story without love, love in it, without a love story. I don't want to watch a movie if there's not love story. You know, like, even it's, if it's drama, like I just reality want to smile TV. and be happy and watch exactly. people find their soulmate. It's my fucking favorite thing in the world. Two people being in love. Yep. Let's do it. <laughs> so speaking of that, <laughs> <laughs> we've got the second half of Sarah Reddy's love letters. I'm so excited to hear the final installment of. Um, make sure you grab the ebook to this now. It's up. Um, also out this week is Josh and Gemma make a baby. That's the one we talked about on Tuesday's episode where it's a brother's best friend and they go through IVF together and it's like a comedy suite, you know, thing that they do. And I, I think it's so precious. I love it. And she's also giving away a signed paperback of that as well. So make sure you enter the giveaway. All right. So. We'll see you guys on the other side. Three. He doesn't write back for three long, torturous days. That's 72 hours of pacing, comfort eating, and stress. Chandra says it's because she was right and he's a 95-year-old with toe fungus. I imagine Corbin would say it's because he's a liar. But I hold out hope, and on Tuesday at 8 in the morning, right after an uncomfortably silent elevator ride with Corbin, I get an email. I hurry into the office, glad that Chandra hasn't arrived, drop into my desk chair and open it. Sorry for the radio silence. For a long time, there was a hole in my life. But then you came along and filled it. I was worried that if we met, I wouldn't meet your expectations and I'd lose you. But someone once told me that letters are the best way to know another person. If I know you like I think I do, then you won't be disappointed. You'll like me as I am. What I'm saying is, yes, we should meet. How about tonight at 6.30 in the Whispering Gallery? It's what brought us together. We should meet there. Let me know you'll come. Thank goodness. I take a deep, grateful breath and type a quick reply. Yes, yes, I'll be there. I'll wear a red dress and carry a white rose so you'll know it's me. When Chandra arrives and I tell her the news, she yells, A red dress? A white rose? Why did you have to be so cliche? What's wrong with you? She spends the next nine hours obsessing over the dress I'll wear, my makeup, my hair, what I'll say, what I'll do, how I cannot, repeat, cannot go home with him or take him to my home. And then she gives me her keychain that doubles as a knuckle duster to knock him out in case he's a psycho. At 6.23, I'm wearing my tight red dress, black high heels, and holding a white rose. My hands shake, and I peer nervously at every single person who walks by. The Whispering Gallery is about 2,000 square feet, an intersection of corridors. An arrow in the stone points to the trains, and another arrow points to the oyster bar. The ceiling is rounded with herringbone-patterned sand-gold tiles that descend to cream-colored stone corners where you face the wall and whisper your secrets. I stand in one corner, gripping the bronze railing, watching the rush hour crowd filter past. It's 6.27. He'll be here any minute. I stand on my tiptoes and... Why is he here? It's Corbin. Of course it's Corbin. He looks the same as always, navy suit, white shirt, but for once his tie's loose around his neck. Maybe he won't see me. Maybe he'll walk right past and go wherever he's going. It would be just my luck if he wants to talk and Jay sees him and decides not to stop. I turn my face and try to be discreet. Then, as Corbin draws closer, I decide to toss out discreet and hold my purse in front of my face so he doesn't recognize me. But no such luck. He stands in the center of the gallery, staring at me, his brow wrinkled, a confused frown on his face. Anna? Oh, my word. I lower my purse and wave my arm. Go away! I hiss. His eyes widen. What? I glance around, terrified that Corbin's going to ruin this moment. 
not to be rude. He gives me a shell-shocked stare, like he's seeing me for the first time, and I realize it must be the dress. He's never seen me in something so low-cut and so leg-bearing. That's the reaction I was hoping for, but it's from the wrong man. I clear my throat to get him to snap out of it. Go away! He shakes his head. Then he walks toward me and stops a foot away, giving me a look I can't read. Hannah, I... I'm sorry to be rude, but I'm meeting someone and I don't want you here. I step away from him. He takes in my red dress, my white rose, but then, instead of walking away, he lifts an eyebrow. Apparently, I have to be more direct. Okay, I'm sorry about what I said on Friday, but the fact remains we don't like each other, we're not friends, we barely get along at work, and I'd rather not see you outside of the office. So, I wave down the corridor. Go away! I sigh. Why does he have to have such soulful eyes? They're like the silver filigree on the binding of a medieval codex, begging to be read. He watches me, weighs me, then comes to a decision. Who are you meeting? None of your business. He smiles. Well, the red dress, the white rose. If I had to guess, I'd say you're meeting your internet stalker. I glare at him. He's not a stalker. Corbin shrugs. So where is he? I look at my phone. It's 6.30. He'll be here any minute, which means you need to go. He lifts his eyebrows. But what if he's me? He's not. There's no way in the entire universe that you're him. For example, he's a nice person. He'd leave if I asked him to because he'd understand this is important. Please, just go away. I turn away from Corbin and pretend I don't know him. Unfortunately, he doesn't leave. Maybe that's him. Corbin points to a bald man with his finger shoved up his nose. I scowl and Corbin shrugs. Or maybe that's him. He points to an elderly man with a walker. Or maybe it's not a him, it's a her. He gestures at a woman in a blue wig. Go away. But he doesn't. Thirty mortifying minutes later, he's still next to me. I refuse to leave. Jay will come. He wouldn't leave me like this. Unfortunately, I can't hide it when I wipe away a stray tear. I'm not sad. I'm frustrated. Hannah. Corbin reaches over, but I pull my hand away. He's coming. Corbin's jaw tightens and he nods. I'll wait with you. I'd rather you didn't. I know. We stand there for the next two hours waiting for a fantasy to show. At 8.30, my feet are pinched and aching. My heart's sore, and I'm miserable from standing next to Corbin in the whispering gallery when all I wanted to do was stand next to the man who'd stolen my heart. I sling my purse over my shoulder and stretch my back. I'm going home. Corbin straightens and looks at his watch. Are you hungry? I hesitate. I am hungry, really hungry, and my fridge is empty. Why? We could walk through the concourse and gorge ourselves on soup, pizza, donuts, ice cream, then swing by the hidden bar. The Campbell? It's a hidden bar in the terminal built in the office of a millionaire railroad executive with the original leaded windows, Florentine decor, and coffered ceilings. I've always wanted to go. Corbin studies my expression, a hopeful light in his eyes. That's right. We could drown our sorrows with top-shelf liquor. What sorrows do you have? I'm the one who has stood up. You're right. Letter writers are liars. I agree with you. Love letters are for loss, betrayal, and broken promises. All right, that's enough cynicism for one night. Come on. He grabs my hand, and when an electric tingle pulses through me, I consciously decide not to pull away. He's not all bad. He's especially not bad after a slice of pizza, two donuts, and three martinis. I like you, I tell him, leaning into him at the bar. The corner of his mouth hitches up, and I smile. 
Do you remember when you fired me? I rest my head on his shoulder. It's a really comfortable spot. I didn't fire you. You did. I hold onto his arm and stare at the shining wall of glass behind the bar. You said, Miss Lynn, your employment is terminated. And that was only hours after I invited you out for coffee. I thought you were cute. I thought we could. Never mind. The director fired you. I merely relayed the message. And I spent the next two weeks trying to find out who actually shredded the archival documents, which led to you being rehired. I stare at him in shock, at the line of his jaw, at the shuttered expression in his eyes. You did that? He merely sighs, so I rest my head on his shoulder again. I always thought the intern who accidentally shredded an entire collection worth of Revolutionary War correspondence was found out by the director. I didn't realize Corbin sought the answer for my sake. I'd been fired because I'd kept the collection overnight at my desk, and even though I denied shredding it, I was the most likely culprit. But when the intern confessed, I was rehired. I didn't know Corbin was the reason I was brought back on. You're nicer than I thought. He makes a non-committal noise and helps me off my bar stool. I'll take you home. I hold his arm and close my eyes, trying to picture what this night would have looked like if Jay showed up. But the only face I can see is Corbin's. At the corner of 43rd and Lexington, he hails a cab. We sit in the back, and I don't let go of his arm. The city's a blur of white lights until we pull to a stop in front of my building. I live in an old stone townhouse, converted to apartments, and at my door, Corbin steps back carefully and gives me a small smile. I hope your night wasn't a complete disappointment. You should come in, I say, suddenly not wanting the night to end. He frowns and the crease between his eyebrow deepens. Why? I look at him and let myself accept what I've known since he first came to work at the Historical Society two years ago. There's something between us. A pull. A connection. A long-resisted desire. I'm tired of resisting. I don't know Corbin very well, but I could. I think getting to know him would be like reading thousands of letters spaced out over years. Why? I ask. He nods, a careful, cautious expression on his face. Well, I think maybe my letter writer not showing up was a good thing. Maybe we're not meant to meet. Maybe our letters were only meant to help me open up to possibilities and see that there's life right in front of me. I shrug. Like you said, I'll be stuck in the basement reading letters while you're out there connecting with real people but I want that too. I want to live too. He shakes his head and I can tell he's going to say no. Hannah, that's not. Before he can say more, I stand on my tiptoes and press my mouth to his. He tastes like candied orange and rum and longing. He stands still as I taste him. Then he makes a harsh sound. And if I didn't know it before, I'd know it now. Corbin Ryan isn't cold. He isn't unfeeling. He isn't restrained. He devours my mouth. His hands dig into my hips and he curses when I bite his lip. I back up, unlock my door and swing it open, all while he's kissing me, his hands roaming over my hips and the curve of my spine. I drag him into the entry of my apartment and kick the door shut. My apartment's a tiny one-bedroom full of books and antique furniture. There's a bed down the hall, only 20 feet away, but it may as well be as far as the moon. Corbin pushes me against the wall and sparks dance over my skin, like paper lighting and burning. His eyes close. His eyelashes fall to his cheeks and his lips meet my shoulder. His kiss feels familiar, and when he opens his eyes and looks at me, I realize why. It's because his kiss feels like a love letter.
It's like a switch inside me flips, and after two years of fighting this, I realize that what I've been fighting is something that feels a lot like love. Corbin runs his hands over me, and in his touch I feel all the words, the prepositions, the dangling participles, the eyes and yous and uses. When he kneels at my feet and presses his lips to my thigh, it's as if he's writing a letter, telling me all the words that mean I love you. He tugs down my thong and then presses a kiss against my clit. His mouth is hot and insistent. I dig my fingers into his shoulders and hang on as sparks fly and I ride his mouth. He holds me against him and I cry out as the pressure builds and builds until it's so much that my knees lock and Corbin holds me up, his fingers gripping my hips, holding me tight as wave after wave consumes me and a bright glowing light floods me. All I can do is feel and feel and feel. He's making love with his hands and his mouth and his body. I close my eyes, the sensation's too much. I sink to my knees and rest my cheek against his. Corbin was right. He was right all along. Letters can't keep you warm. I've never felt so much connection. I've never felt so well loved. But as much as it feels good, it also hurts. He presses a soft kiss to my lips. Hannah, I'll be your letter writer if you want me to be. My heart breaks at the vulnerability in his eyes, and I wonder if it's possible to love two people at once. The words of one and the feelings you have with another. But no, I don't think it is. And it's not fair to either Jay or Corbin to pretend otherwise. I'm sorry, I can't. Corbin pulls away a stricken expression on his face. No, I mean, I don't need you to be him. You can be you. You don't need to be someone else. He studies me. You love him, even though you only know him through his letters. I do. He closes his eyes, and when he opens them, there's resolve there. I should go. I swallow the sudden lump in my throat, stand and smooth my dress. Corbin reaches out and tucks a lock of hair behind my ear. For some reason, it makes me want to ask him to stay. Not for the night, but for forever. Goodbye, I tell him. Goodbye, Hannah. I stare at the door long after he's gone, wondering why him going felt like leaving a letter unopened and unread. Four. He didn't come, I tell Chandra. You're kidding. I knew it, he wasn't real. He was too good to be true. Did you write? Did he tell you why he didn't show? I shake my head and stare at my computer screen. I did send a quick email to Jay asking if he was okay, but he didn't respond. It's fine. Corbin was there. Excuse me? How's that fine? You hate Corbin. I don't hate him. Chandra scoffs. Then she narrows her eyes. I just thought of the weirdest thing. What if Corbin is your letter writer? He knows history. He also works near Bryant Park. He's intelligent. It's not Corbin, I say. I spent half the night lying awake trying to convince myself Corbin and my letter writer were the same man. I even reread all his letters. And when I did, I could only hear them in Corbin's voice, but still, it's not him. Chandra shrugs and turns back to her computer. Maybe. By the way, did you see this last letter? It's from a Union soldier writing his wife. He died in battle two days later. I hit my hands against my desk and stand. What? Chandra asks. I'm tired of letters that end in longing and heartache. For once. I'd like a happy ending. She rolls her eyes. Okay, it's out there, in real life. Go get it. I realize she's right. 
There's no reason I need to stay in this basement, reading letters, wishing for a connection. I march down the hall, up the stairs, down another hall, and knock on Corbin's door. He calls, Come in, and I step inside. He looks at me in surprise, and I smile at the crisp line of his suit and the sparse cleanliness of his desk. What are you doing tonight? I ask. He blinks, and I smile. Right, you're coming with me on a historic walking tour of the East Village. I am? I nod. You are. So he does. And the next night, he takes me to the abandoned City Hall subway station, and I try not to think about the fact that Jay was going to take me there and hold my hand as we gazed at the vaulted ceilings. The next day, I take Corbin to the oldest coffee shop in the city, and we have cappuccinos and croissants and read medieval poetry in terrible accents. And the next weekend, we go on a mission to find all the secret spots in Central Park, including the whispering bench in Shakespeare Garden. I whisper, I think we're friends. And he whispers, I know we are. And so every day after, we go on walks, explore museums, argue and laugh, and sit on benches in the parks across the city. And soon, I forget that Jay never met me and never wrote back. Until a month passes and finally, he does. He wants to meet again, tonight. I tell Corbin, waving my phone. There's no explanation. He just says he's very sorry. He wasn't ready, and he'd like to meet. Corbin nods, not saying anything. He tucks a strand of hair behind my ear. We're on a bench in Bryant Park near the outdoor lending library. It's funny how much that lending library changed my life. If not for that library, I wouldn't be sitting next to Corbin right now. Not that we've kissed or made love or done anything since that night. But I'd like to. I'd really, really like to. But there's something holding Corbin back. Maybe it's Jay. Maybe he's waiting for me to let him go. I'll do it. No, never mind. I won't. You should go, he says. You said you loved him. I love you. I want to say, you should go. I reach out and take his hand. Can I see you after? He squeezes my fingers, if you still want to. I'll always want to see you. Remember how well the love letter exhibit went? Thousands of people came on opening weekend. It received such high praise we're expanding to a permanent online collection. Of course, he says. Well, I think it's because love letters are romantic, but from my own experience, I'd rather have a day with you, walking through historic neighborhoods, lounging in the park, cooking dinner at my place, and watching classic movies. I'd rather a day like that than a hundred love letters from a fantasy. Corbin stares at my lips, and they tingle like he's stroking them with his mouth. I lean forward. You should go he says, gray eyes clouded. I lean back. Right, okay. I hurry home without looking back. Five. The whispering gallery is empty. It's long past rush hour and only a few people wander the corridors. I smooth my hands over my dress. It's not the red one. I changed into my green lace dress realizing only after I left that I wore it because it's one of Corbin's favorites. I don't have a flower or a book or anything to recognize me by, but since I'm the only one here, I don't think he'll be able to miss me. I'm even more nervous than the last time I was here because now I'm in love with someone else. Everything I told Jay, everything he told me, it'll always be there. He'll have helped me realize how to love, and I'll have helped him live again after his brother died. But beyond that, our letters took us as far as they could, and I think when we meet tonight, our hello will really mean goodbye. The only thing I really want to do today is tell Corbin I love him. 
I had my impossible list of requirements for true love, and Corbin didn't meet any of them. Jay met them all in a letter, but then the list didn't matter anymore, and somehow Corbin became my list. Everything he is is everything I love. So, I stand in the arched corner and wait for the man who changed my life. I hear footsteps and look down the corridor. It's Corbin, but I didn't tell him where I was going. I didn't tell him where I was meeting Jay. My heart flips in my chest. He strides into the whispering gallery and gives me a small, hesitant smile. Instead of walking over to me, he walks to the opposite corner. My mouth goes dry. Corbin turns to the wall, then looks back at me and gestures for me to put my ear to the stone. I lean against it and touch the smooth surface. He smiles at me, then turns back and whispers. And his whisper travels all the way across the room, across the stone, through the air, and I hear him clear as day. I love you. I turn my eyes wide. You love me? He smiles and gestures for me to turn back around. I place my ear to the wall. It was me, he says. It was my letter you found. I love you. I'm sorry. I don't wait for him to say more. I run across the tiled floor and throw myself into his arms. It was you? It was your letters? Why didn't you tell me? I kiss him between each sentence, wrapping my arms around him. I didn't know until the night we met here and then. I was terrible. You were wonderful. I was terrible to you. I was hoping if you got to know me better, you wouldn't be so upset it was me who was writing letters to you. I didn't expect them to become love letters, but they were, and I fell in love with you somewhere between I miss you and we should meet. I press a kiss to his lips, then another and another. Two years ago, when we met and you looked so cold and never spoke, is that right after you lost your brother? He nods. And after I was fired, and after you rejected me, I never gave you another chance. I'm sorry. It took me a long time to remember how to love. You're Jay. James is my middle name. It's what my family calls me. I wrap my arms around him. I have something to tell you, but you have to take me home first. I get to go home with you? You do. A subway ride and a short walk later, I pull Corbin down my hallway past my living room full of antique furniture into my bedroom. This requires you to take off your clothes, I say. He smiles. It does. Definitely. He undresses, and I slowly unzip my dress, sliding it down my legs. Then I unsnap my bra and tug down my thong until I'm naked before him. You are so beautiful, he says, his gray eyes shining. The light of the lamp dimly illuminates my bedroom, casting a glow over him. I pick up the pen on my dresser and walk to him. Hold out your hand. He smiles, his eyes crinkling, and holds out his palm. Then, in slow, careful letters, I pen on his hand a cursive I, a wide-open L, looping into an O that looks like a heart, and a V and an E. My Y reminds me of his touch, with the loops intersecting expectantly into the O and the U. I love you, I read. He stares at his hand and reverentially runs his fingers over the letters. That's the best love letter I've ever received, he says. Then he pushes me to the bed and I touch him and explore him and he explores me, leaving love letters all over my body. And when he nudges my legs apart and thrusts inside me, I hold his hands and we're saying I love you and please and yes and more. And when loving him becomes so consuming that I don't have any words left, I hold on to him and tell him without words how much I love him, how I thank fate for bringing him to me, and how lucky I am to have found him.
He thrusts deeper and harder, takes my lips in a consuming kiss, strokes his fingers over me until I'm coming, coming. Then he makes a low noise in his throat, thrusts desperately as he calls my name. He loses himself in me, and I cry out, clench around him, and come undone. He kisses me, pulls me to him, and rests his forehead against mine. I love you, he says. I love you, too. I'm going to marry you. You know that, right? I smile, moving closer. I know, but one question. He nods, so I ask. When you started writing me, did you ever think we'd end up here? He kisses the corner of my mouth. Not even in my fondest dreams. Then he gently traces his hands over me, and I forget about dreams, because he's right. There's no love letter, no dream, nothing that can match this perfect moment. So we stay in bed, make love, and learn all the different ways that two people can fall in love over and over and over again. This has been Love Letters by Sarah Reddy. Read for you by Monica King. Welcome back. Hey, listeners. That was it. Get out. (laughs) (laughs) I swear to God, one day we're just going to end an episode like that. Well, make sure everything's in the show notes, all the different books we talked about in the Tuesday episode, any new releases. All the links will be there for you guys to get and to enter the giveaway. Thank you so much to Sarah for giving us love letters. It was awesome. And you guys make sure and check out all her stuff. Up next week, we have Leah Shirell, um with His Sweetness. So super excited to try that. I haven't read any of her books before, but she's been so sweet and nice to talk to. She so. writes like these over-the-top possessive heroes that fall pretty quick. And they're like, beat my ch- chest mine. And the heroines are like sassy. And I don't know. It's kind of like, I can't even explain it. It's on the like sweeter side for MC, definitely. Words. I like all the words that are coming out of your mouth. Because usually I'm not huge on MC, (laughs) but I do dabble in her stuff. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So we've got her up next week. So make sure you join us back here on Tuesday. In the meantime, make sure you check out our books, um, Cupid Gets Struck. And we've got Flurry of Love coming too. Make sure you look at that. And check back with us on our social media. Follow us everywhere. Um, I am going to post up some TikToks for Read Me Romance. I'm going to do a paperback giveaway of our um uh our volume one and two from our summer beach box i have paperbacks left from that the volume one and two so i'm gonna do a giveaway with that on read me romance's tiktok so awesome. go over there and check it out all right i guess that's everything tell them what to do fuck your day up make sure your bitch don't be a dick bye guys bye read me romance read read me romance read me romance read read me romance you could take a look in a book that's fine or you could sit back relax and unwind and read me romance read read me romance